Hey folks, and welcome to Typology, the show on which we explore the story of you through the lens of the Enneagram. My name is Anthony Skinner, producer of the show. We're thrilled to have you here with us today. We've got another great guest. Before I get to our guests, a couple of housekeeping things. I want to remind you that Ian's brand new workbook, The Story of You Workbook, is now available. And this workbook is, of course, the companion piece to his book, The Story of You. You're going to want to get this workbook. It is a really powerful guide and a really helpful tool for you to move into your brand new story. So make sure you check that out. Hey, our guest today is the author of the brand new book, What's Here Now? How to Stop Rehashing the Past and Rehearsing the Future and Start Receiving the Present. She's founding and co-lead pastor of Soul City Church in Chicago, and she is an eight with a seven wing, folks. So we're cooking in the kitchen today, and I am talking about Jeannie Stevens. We're so happy to have Jeannie with us today. Hey, happy that you're here. That's it for me, Anthony Skinner. And now, without any further ado, here is our host, Ian Cron. Hey, Typology family, welcome to the latest episode of Typology, the show on which we explore the story of you through the lens of the Enneagram. Today, we have a very exciting show. We have my new friend, Jeannie Stevens, on. She's got a great new book out, forward by another good friend of mine, Shauna Nequist. It's called What's Here Now? How to Stop Rehashing the Past and Rehearsing the Future and Start Receiving the Present. Welcome, to typology. Mm. Thank you, Ian. It is so good to be here. And thank you for making it all the way through that extra long subtitle. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Here's I like the that thing subtitle. That I, you know, that I learned a while back. So I have a book called Jesus, My Father, The C-I-N-A and Me, A Memoir of yes, Sorts, right? Yes. And then we, I have two other books with long titles. And the reason is, Anthony, is for SEO search engines. Yes. Isn't that crazy? Yep. I had a much shorter subtitle, and they said, no, it needs to be this. And I was like, well, why? And they're like, one, you got to explain what is behind this whole question. What's here now? You can't just put a question out on a Isn't that what the book is for? Right, exactly. (laughs) Well, I always laugh and say the entire book is on the cover. Right? There's more words on the cover than there are in the book. There are. There are. Insane. But thank you for having me. It is so good to be here. And and we were just chatting about all our mutual friends. So it's good to be in your company and with you in the present. Well, absolutely. We're thrilled. Okay, so here's my first question. Yes. I'm begging you to answer this question for my neurotic self. Okay. How do I stop rehashing the past, rehearsing the future, and start receiving the present? Because Anthony and I have been to a lot of therapy. (laughs) I still go to a lot of therapy. <laughs> <laughs> I do too. <laughs> I go to a spiritual director. I go to therapy. I go to retreats. I go to 12-step meetings three or four days a week. I got a lot of support for this sick brain. And I want to know <laughs> how to stop rehashing the past, rehearsing the future, and start receiving the present because that's what I've been spending all my money on <laughs> in these various locations. Over to you, Jeannie. Yes. Well, it's funny. Uh, when I was 
landing last night here in Nashville, the Uber driver that uh, took me over to my hotel, he asked me what I did. And, you know, I was like sheepishly saying, I'm an author because this is my first uh, book. And he said, well, what's the title? And I read it to him and he's like, oh, I need that book. (laughs) So I am right there with you. Uh, And I'm actually a strong believer in digging in the dirt of our story and going to uh, our past and, and doing all of the work that you just mentioned. I also have a spiritual director and a therapist and I've done, you know, intensives and group therapy, all of it. Uh, and it's not necessarily that we don't rehash it. It's that we shouldn't live there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think so many of us, what we end up doing is th- the past is a great place to learn from. It's a terrible place to live. Mm-hmm. And so many of us, what we end up doing is we try to live in the past or we try to live out in the future. And anytime we're doing that, we're actually not living in this now moment. Um, you know, as a as a person of, of faith, of, of which I am, uh, I think the zip code of God is the present. Mm-hmm. You know, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, but we can't access God in the past, and we can't access God in the future. Mm-hmm. This now moment is the moment to be with God. And so the, the preface of the book is really to help people be here now. And, and that's the question, right? What's here now? And, and I walk people through a process of really just locating themselves. Uh, you know, like you think about going to the airport and maybe a new airport and you're going to go to that map and you're going to go, okay, where am I? You're going to look for the red dot or you go to a mall, you know, and you're trying to find an actual store or something like that. You're going to look at the map and go, where am I? And really this question, it's a locating question. You know, real estate agents, they always say location, location, location. And, and I actually think that's, that's a spiritual mantra more than it is a real estate mantra. And most of us, we're not really here. And I started realizing that about myself when I was on the doorstep of um, exhaustion and um, tiredness and feeling like the work of God that I was doing was deteriorating the work of God in me. And I started to realize, gosh, I don't think I'm really here. I I think that in my mind, I'm either rehearsing something that's about to happen and I'm just rolling it over, or I'm rehashing something that has already occurred and I'm not really here. And so a mentor and a spiritual director of mine actually gave me this question and he told me to download this app called Mind Jogger. And you can type in anything, and it'll just randomly pop up on your phone anytime throughout the day. And so I typed in the question, what's here now? And it was an invitation to myself to practice presence. You know, like Brother Lawrence, right? To practice the presence of God, to practice the presence of myself, to practice presence with other people. And so it's just, I simply ask myself, okay, what's going on with my body? Like I literally like kind of scan my body. I did this right before I came into your house um, and I was sitting Most in my car. Most people do. They're right? Very, <laughs> <laughs> they're very concerned yes. about what's to come. <laughs> but it's just a way to go, okay, what's, what's here? You know, the body doesn't lie to us, right? So it's like, okay, shoulders are a little tired, a little sleepy, you know. Um, and then I scanned through, okay, what's here? And my thoughts, excited to meet Ian, excited to to share this book with him, what's here with my feelings, I'm nervous, you know, I'm, 
I'm sharing something so vulnerable. So I was feeling that tenderness in my heart. And, and it was this way for me to just ground myself and come into this moment instead of being somewhere else mm-hmm. so that I can offer the gift of presence to you and you can offer the gift of presence to me. Because, I mean, you've probably had that feeling when you're talking with somebody and you're like, they're not here. <laughs> they, they're somewhere else. They're thinking about what they're about to say or they're thinking about something that happened earlier. We can feel it off of one another when we're not really here and with one another. And the gift of presence to me is the gift of peace. Yeah. So we're going to get to the Enneagram 8 with a 7 yes, ring in a yes. moment here, okay? Uh, but I, I have two quotes for you. One is, uh, you know, there's this great Anne Lamott quote where she says, when the past calls, let it go to voicemail. Hmm. It has nothing new to say, yes. right? And then a quote, uh, that, so that's something, one of the things I remind myself when I find myself trapped in the cycle of thinking about the past. And as an Enneagram 4, like fives and nines, I'm in past oriented. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, I have a past orientation. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the, but the future one was my my twelve step sponsor. He has a, a great quote. Uh, I was he was talking about another person in the program uh, who was talking to their sponsor about anxiety over something happening in the future, right? And they were they were just yeah. had their hair lit on fire yeah. about something and making movies about it, and you know in their heads, etc. And the sponsor turned to the guy and he said, "You know, I love you, right?" And the guy goes, "Yeah." He said, I will go anywhere with you except the future. Mm. <laughs> so good. That's good. That's so good, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I mean, the worry and anxiety, just like you were saying, mm-hmm. it's living in a not yet and thinking that that not yet is better than your now. Not yet or may never be. Right, exactly. Right. And, and I think people are so quick to try to change the past, something that's already happened, or control the future. And we forget that we actually have choice over this now moment. Mm-hmm. We get to be with one another. We get to offer one another the gift of presence. And what a powerful mm-hmm. gift to to offer mm-hmm. my presence, your presence. And, you know, it's, it's interesting when you can actually drop into the moment and you ground yourself in the here and the now, almost always gratitude comes up. Mm-hmm. And in this sense of belonging to God, to one another. It, it's an incredible gift. But unfortunately, we're, all, we're often living someplace else in yeah. our mind. Yes, we, we absolutely are. And I've, I've done a ton of reading. In fact, I'm reading a book right now, Anthony. Mm-hmm. It's called, uh, I, I'm a big believer. I, I read across traditions, right? I do too. So I just read, well, we just had him on the show, Rick Hansen. Oh, uh, so good. Buddha's Brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah which is such a good book. Mm. Uh, and it's about the neuroscience of mindfulness and um, really about how to, I'm not even sure how to, you have to listen, the episode we just did is amazing. Oh, it's so good. We had Rick and his son on and, and just had a ball because I had read some of his other books. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Christians have a lot to learn from Buddhists, you know, about, the spiritual life yes. and uh and the power of now right yeah um, totally and and this is the only moment that we have and you know what's ironic about the power of now which is a book title yes, Eckhart, it is. Tolle, Eckhart you know the 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 irony is is what did he do there he actually took i mean yes there are buddhist principles in it but he actually he took his name from meister Eckhart, a christian mystic 
right? So that should clue us into something. And when you read The Cloud of Unknowing, when you read Meister Eckhart, when you read these greats, this is not new in our tradition. (laughs) When you read Brother Lawrence, you know, The Practicing the Presence of God, it is not new. So whenever people get all squirrely when I tell them, you know, I read these other other thinkers, I say, look, I'm just telling you, they do sometimes a much better job at articulating the gospel Mm -hmm. or, or not maybe the gospel, but... I would say illuminating the gospel, uh, but also of articulating great Christian truths that we have forgotten, Mm -hmm. especially post-Reformation. I agree. And, you know, part of the reason why I wanted to title it as a question is because I think this is what Jesus did. Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, I mean, he really only answered about three questions. Um, But he asked hundreds of them, and he was asked hundreds of them. And he never really answered the question. He returned it with a question. Mm -hmm. And I I think that so many of his questions are pulling back to this. Mm -hmm. So what's happening with you right now? Mm -hmm. Where are you? Mm -hmm. What are you afraid of? What are you worried about? What are you rehashing from something that happened before? Mm What's causing you anxiety? What are you trying to control? This is the beauty of Jesus, right? He constantly was trying to pull people into the now moment to say the kingdom of God is here and now. It's not one day. It's here and it's now. And are you present to it? So it's part of the reason why I wanted the title of the book to Mm -hmm. actually be a question. Uh, Because my hope and my prayer is that this would be a practice that people could do over and over and over again, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, you can be brushing your teeth and ask yourself, mm-hmm. okay, what's here now? You can be in a uh, argument with a spouse or a friend and you can both pause and say, okay, what's here now? And, and it can dilute and it can, you know, kind of change the whole temperature of the conversation. Yeah. So, All right, let's talk about the Enneagram. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about being an Enneagram 8 with a 7 <laughs> ring. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> And what is your husband? So we have some context. My husband is a seven and he always used to think that he had an eight wing and recently he's feeling more of some six energy. Right. How old is he? He is 48. Well, that's about the time Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that uh, if he had a seven with an eight wing, usually in that midlife season is when people start to migrate a a little bit toward their other wing, which is a healthy journey. Yeah, really healthy journey. Okay, uh, so the Enneagram. How did you figure out, like what was the drop shoe moment when you went, oh yeah, I'm an eight, and was it fast? It was really fast. Uh What is it about eights, man? And I have heard this about (laughs) eights that, because I have lots of friends, and and so we use the Enneagram as a tool regularly. I've been involved, engaged, teaching, practicing the Enneagram for a couple decades now. So um, we use it in our church. I mean, like we've taught our whole church the Enneagram. So we we are big believers in this tool. Um, and it's funny because so many of my other friends with other numbers are like, well, for a while I thought it was this. And for another, you know, season I thought I was this. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I have always just been an eight. I have always known. And a spiritual director told me about the Enneagram uh, well over two decades ago. Um, So when I was in my 20s, I first learned about it. And they said to me, you need to read the shadow side of all the numbers 
and the shadow side that you go, ugh, ugh, that can't be true. That's probably your number. (laughs) And so I read through all of the shadow sides. I read through all of the like vices, right? And I read the eight and in this idea of the vice of lust, right? And the vice of more and the vice of power. And I was like, ugh, but that's me. Mm-hmm. Like, and it just, yeah. I saw myself and I, and I just knew it. And, you know, it's so funny because eights, they, they often have this like childhood moment, right? Where they lost innocence. That's often kind of the story that an eight tells themselves, which I just loved reading your book, um, how we define ourselves in stories, right? And how that becomes, it may not actually be the truth of the story, but we've found ourselves in that story. And I was thinking through like, okay, when did I lose innocence as an eight? And for me, my very first memory, I've done some like EMDR work and I've done some um, just different memory work in therapy over the years. And uh, a therapist was helping me discern my very first memory in life. And it's strange, but I remember when my mom brought my brother home from the hospital, um, and we're just 18 months apart. And she said to me, you know, this is Andy, right? Like I'm, I'm meeting my brother. And she said, now you're mommy's helper. And that's my first memory, which is so strange to me. I don't have many more until like six, seven, but I was really young. I mean, I wasn't even two yet. And I somehow learned you're not the baby anymore. You're not the innocent one here. You're not, you're not allowed to be needy. You now have to be in charge. So how come you didn't become a two? Well, isn't it interesting that eights go to two when they're healthy? Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of my movement was to not have to be a helper, but to be a powerful helper. I didn't want to have to be small. I didn't want to have to be vulnerable, right? That's, that's part of the vice of the eight as well. They don't want to feel vulnerability. And yet, that's one of the best shift moves for an eight, is to be vulnerable, to let themselves be seen. But I think for me, um, I wanted to feel the control, I felt like I lost control. I felt like I was no longer the special one, right? So I wanted to find a sense of power and control through helping, through, you know, aiding my mom. Um, so, yeah, that, that's my very first memory. And, and along the way, I think for me as an eight, being able to show my agency show my strength always felt better than showing my vulnerability. Mm -hmm. It always felt better than um, talking about my mistakes or talking about my fears. Um, Those I wanted to keep hidden. I didn't want people to scratch those open. Mm -hmm. Um, And in so much of my growth work, though, over the years, I've realized that people are most drawn to me when I'm vulnerable Mm -hmm. that that that's when they actually want to come close I remember somebody saying to me once um what's it like 
to have people intimidated by you. And I was like, what? They're intimidated by me? How could they be intimidated by me? You know? And she was just reflecting back to me in a really um, honest way that I walk into rooms and, and feel confident and feel capable. And, and it's not just, I, I don't think that it's all egoic, um, although there's lots of parts of it that are false self and egoic. Um, but when she offered me that reflection, I thought, oh, I don't want that to be somebody's first experience of me. Because, you know, really healthy eights have these gooey, warm hearts. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. They are, they are lovers mm-hmm. of people. And um, really healthy eights do look like twos. They, they want to lift others up. That's the number we move to in yeah. integration and health, right? Um, so... Yeah, that that virtue of innocence is. Can I ask a quick question? Yeah. You you said earlier. I just don't. I don't want to get away from this, but you, you seem to have a really clear picture of. You talked about how you wanted power and you like to exercise your power. Yeah. Um, but then you're not aware that you walk into a room and have that power. What are some of the things that when you talk about the, when you move in power, what what does that look like? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, from a, from healthy or unhealthy. Either. Yeah, I think that when I walk in from the unhealthy place, it's definitely from a posture of the the things that are going on beneath the surface are fear. Um, there's this um, sense of what if I'm found out. So there's probably some imposter things going on. I, I know that that is a real strong trend of a three, but I think it shows up in eights as well. I, I think it shows up in all the numbers. But so for me, like, what if they find out that I, I don't really know what I'm doing? <laughs> I, I, I look like I do, but I don't. Um, what if they find out that I don't know the answer? I'm not sure what we're supposed to do. And so that overcompensation mm. is a sense of I'm, I'm going to lead with power. Mm-hmm. I'm going to lead with confidence. I'm going to lead with this sense of I got this. Mm-hmm. And gosh, was COVID such a um, perfect opportunity for all of that to get blown up mm. because nobody knew what they were doing. You know, nobody knew what was coming. Nobody knew how to navigate their way through one week, let alone, you know, two full years. And so it was such a great opportunity for me to show up in vulnerability. Hmm. I think one of the, the things that I know when I'm healthy is when I find myself saying the phrase, I'm not sure. I don't know. Let's think about that. And, and it's pulling into a posture of curiosity mm-hmm. instead of a posture of confidence. Mm-hmm. And I love, I love being able to show up confident when I, sure. um, you know, feel this sense of, I have something to say, but I'm more drawn to curious people mm-hmm. than I am even confident people. I'm drawn to people that are open to mystery than I am people that are um, so sure of themselves. Mm -hmm. And I realized that often I would show up so sure of myself and I wouldn't allow that vulnerable little girl in me that's like, I don't know. (laughs) I'm not sure. Right, and that's when you show up that way. When we show up in a particular way specific to our types, it is the false self that shows up. And false not necessarily meaning 
bad. So it shouldn't be something we beat ourselves mm-hmm. up for. It's really just um, a character defense. Yeah. You know, it's mm. just something we learned that we had to do in order to get our needs met, mm-hmm. to survive the world mm-hmm. of relationships and find our way in the world. But, you know, when you drag that old story into the present, the present mm-hmm. it, it, no, serve you. it will not serve you. It will not right? serve it'll you. It'll blow up marriages. Yeah. It'll lose jobs. It it'll do all kinds of stuff that will not work, yeah. you know. So, yeah. you know, it's interesting as I, I was I was looking at the title this morning, I, I was thinking about, oh, this is interesting. How to stop rehears- rehashing the past. Good message for fours, fives and nines. <laughs> uh, how to stop rehearsing the future. What a good idea for three, sevens mm. and eights. And to start receiving the present. And I would say healthily how to start healthily receiving the present. What a great message for ones, twos and sixes, because they don't handle the present uh, all that great yeah. either. Yeah. Right. So it's, I think this is a book, you know, that's for our entire audience, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like not only to understand other types, but their relationship to time. Mm-hmm. Because I do think that it's more tempting to force fives and nines to get rehash the past, three sevens and eights to live too much in the future, et cetera, ones, twos and sixes to live in an unhealthy relationship. Yeah, and there, there's kind of these telltale signs, right? And, and they can show up in the different Enneagram numbers. You know, when we're rehashing the, bla- the past, if, if blame, shame, Grief, bitterness, or guilt are somehow showing up in our thoughts. We can almost be certain that we're trying to replay something. Mm. Um, And when worry, denial, pretending, obligation, and control, when those show up, we can be certain that we are out there in the future rehearsing something that hasn't happened yet. It's almost like they're kind of like these little indicators, right? Like um, they're, they're little lights to go, okay, I'm controlling. I'm out here in the future or I'm worrying, you know, I'm out here in the future or I'm replaying this story of shame or I'm going over and over and over again. Why it's not my fault. It's somebody else's fault, you know, and, and blame is here. And, um, grief is, is another one. You know, I've, I've had to do so much significant grief work in my life. Um, I, I mentioned my brother, Andy, um, And he very suddenly, at 46 years of age, um, my sister-in-law called me and said, your brother's not breathing. And, um, you know, drove over to their home, and she was standing there with their six-month-old baby. And my brother, in fact, was gone. And it kind of opened up this incredible floodgate of grief that I then was having to return to because a very similar thing happened with my dad not 13 years earlier and we lost him in a moment and so I've had to do so much deep grief work and there's something that's really powerful about doing the work of grief because grief can really grow something in us um, but ungrieved losses um, they just keep us living in the past And, um, you know, for me, I've had to learn how to not just um, give in to grief, but to grow through grief. And I think oftentimes many of us, we get ourselves stuck and and we stop our growth work because of loss, because of, and maybe it's not even just a person. It, It could be something, it could be a change, right? We moved or the season that we're in is not the season that we're in anymore. And, 
And if we don't grow through that grief, it kind of locks us in the past. And I've watched different Enneagram numbers really struggle around um, grief. Um, Some of my different friends not wanting to do that grief work. And the last two years of COVID, I think, if anything, have been a primer on all of us having to deal with loss, mm-hmm. having to do, deal with significant change, change we would not have chosen, mm-hmm. change that none of us would have written this circumstance into the plot line of our lives. Global pandemic, all the world shuts down, uh, great racial tension, uh, division. You know, None of us would have written this into the plot line of our lives. And I think so much of the tension that we all have been carrying is unprocessed grief. I think so often leaders that blow up their life are also carrying around a lot of unprocessed grief. Um, they're, they're dragging this suitcase from the past that they've just been giving into instead of growing through. Um, and yeah, as an eight and somebody that <laughs> wants to run away from vulnerability, the gift of deep diving myself into the ache of grief work over the last few years with the loss of my brother. Prior to that, the loss of my dad, my father-in-law passed away through, uh, passed away from COVID, um, last December. And, you know, I would never write grief into anyone's story, but it is such a, um, opportunity Right. Well, you know, grief is the cost of love. Yes, it is. Uh, if you're going to love, you're going to grieve mm-hmm. at some point. Mm-hmm. There's just no way around it. Yeah. Right. I had a um, a friend of mine, a, well, a therapist, say me, I was sort of rehashing the mm-hmm. past, which, you know, is part of therapy. I yes. mean, that's just part of the journey of it. Right. So you're just doing it in a, you know, a healthier context mm-hmm. for purposes of growth. Mm-hmm. But he, I was rehearsing something, and he, he just interrupted me at one point, and he goes, when are you going to stop carrying that corpse around? Mm, yeah. And it was such a vivid picture. Yeah. When are you going to stop carrying that corpse around? Because, you know, yeah. corpses smell. They don't yeah. look attractive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're heavy. They're, yep. you know, and mm-hmm. he, he just said, I don't know, dude, when are you going to stop carrying mm-hmm. that corpse around? And it was like one of those throw you back on your heel questions, totally. you know, that just totally. upends you. Yeah. Yep. Well, an ungrieved loss, you know, you can you can experience it in somebody's life when they have ungrieved loss. You can notice it. You you can experience it when you're in their presence. You're like, Oh, there's something you are not letting go. And gosh, if the spiritual life is anything, it is a gift of surrender. It is a gift of being invited to over and over and over again, surrender to love and to let go. Mm -hmm. And, I I believe that every one of the nine types are, are drawn to that, right? But as an eight, that is like, I am going to cling to it and I'm going to hold to it and I'm going to dominate it. Right. Um, it has been such a, a powerful thing to let go. Well, you know, and there's something to be learned here, you know, because unfortunately in the well, in every tradition, but particularly in the Christian tradition where shame is such a mm. weaponized tool mm-hmm. of transformation, there's, there's, there's actually a piece of evolutionary mm-hmm. psychology here, right? You, you, 
have to remember, but people have to remember that we often remember the past because we don't want to get hurt again. Yeah. Uh, right. If you got it's chased. Self-protection. There's right. self-protection, mm-hmm. right? And so it's not like you're a bad person. It's just evolutionary psychology. If you got chased around the desert by a lion, you want to remember that. <laughs> you're not running to the desert again. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, you we, we do things, right? Just, you know, the, 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 the ego has one yes. agenda. Protect. To keep you alive mm-hmm. until dinner. Yeah. That is basically what the ego does, yeah. right? And then we think about the future uh, a lot because, um, you know, obviously that's self-protective. It's mm-hmm. like if I rehearse the future, mm-hmm. if I live in the future at some level, I will be more likely to survive than unlikely to survive. The problem is, is that the threats that existed 10,000 years ago, many of them are no longer present, but our brains keep acting as though they were living 10,000 years ago. And what's so powerful, Ian, is that if our brains can pull us back to the past or pull us out into the future, then our brains, and the brain is so amazing. I love reading about neuroscience. Mm -hmm. Um, But the brain is also capable of noticing because it's noticing things in the past and in the future. It's capable of noticing the present then. And that's so much of what this book is an invitation to people to start becoming people that notice, that name, and then nurture what's really going on inside. Um, And I I had somebody say to me that you cannot change what you do not love. And I think so often when you speak of shame, you know, shame is just self-hatred at my expense, like S-H-A-M-E, self-hatred at my expense. And we will never rid ourselves of our shame stories if we are not willing to love some of the things that have occurred. And I'm not saying condone the things that have occurred, but love what God is doing through the things that have occurred in our lives. And you know what? It's interesting, again, because sometimes we ignore the science, Mm -hmm. right? Shame has a really important psychological yes. function. Very. Yes, right? totally. Number one, it prevents you from taking your pants mm-hmm. off at church. It okay? does. So, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's a yes. really good idea. To, that's, yes. a, that's a kind of shame. Pay attention. You, pay attention. That's not <laughs> a bad shame, you know? Don't drop your pants at yep. communion. Yep. Then the other thing yep. that it does is, you know, the human person, the thing that scares people just about more than anything else is the possibility of being ejected from the tribe. Because if you're thrown out of the herd, and you're on your own, that means that you are easy prey, right? You don't want to be the gazelle at the back of the herd, (laughs) you know, limping along, right? And, you know, and so what shame does is it, it, it uh, reminds us, don't do that or you'll be ejected from the herd. Mm -hmm. Right. Don't tell people that you did that Mm -hmm. or you'll be thrown out of the herd or, you know, you think that you feel that, you know, you're going to get thrown out of the herd if you do that. And so part of it is, is also just having compassion for the fact that I have a brain that generates shame the way that the thyroid secretes endocrines, right? right? Or enzymes or whatever it does, Mm -hmm. right? And, you know, so part of it isn't just a spiritual battle. It's a physiological battle, right? Now, the good news is is that the brain has the capacity, if if it's worked on, to at least mitigate some of the damage that shame can bring about in the the human person. It's possible to rewire, Mm -hmm. right? And to... Um, rewrite uh, how we've told ourselves certain stories. Um, And I just think even from 
you know, you think all the way back, right, to, to Genesis. And it says in Genesis 2 that Adam and his wife were naked and they felt no shame. And there's a million things that could have been recorded, right? They were naked and they felt no fear. They were naked and they felt no anxiety. They were naked and they felt no worry. But the writer of Genesis says that they felt no shame. Well, then, you know, if you, you know the story, they go and they eat the apple, right? And their first result, the first result is shame. They hide they blame one another, you know, they cover themselves up. And it's so interesting because when God goes and looks for them, he says, where are you? Where are you? And it's not like God didn't know, right? Mm -hmm. God always wins at hide and seek. He knew exactly where they were and he knew exactly what they were doing. But in so many ways, I feel like God was saying like, what's here now? What's here now, Adam? What's here now, Eve? Like, why are you hiding you used to not feel shame. This isn't the story that I want for you. And I believe that we can rewrite those stories mm -hmm. if we're willing to do the work, mm. if we're willing to pay attention, if we're really willing to notice and name, okay, what was going on when that shame story entered my life? Um, I, I write about a story. Um, I had an algebra teacher in middle school, and his literal name was Mr. Twos. That was his name. The math teacher's name was Mr. Twos. And um, <laughs> great name. And I so distinctly remember a moment when Mr. Twos, I was struggling with algebra, and I, I just wasn't getting it. And I remember, um, and I like went in after school, I asked for help, and I remember a moment in class raising my hand saying, I don't get it, can you explain it again? And I remember him saying, and I'm sure he didn't mean to, you know, like put shame into my story, but he said, Jeannie, I've explained this to you so many times. Why don't you get it? Well, shame. Mm. It just went right inside. I started to tell myself a story. I'm not smart. I'm never going to be smart. I'm never going to understand complex math. And you're stupid. And, and it was this shame story that entered into my narrative. And oh my goodness, how that shame story has carried me. Mm. And still, I have to notice when it's here. I have to notice when it's showing up. I have to, you know, every time I go to a board meeting and we've got all of our, you know, spreadsheets, I, I have like triggers that take me back and I go, you know, there are people in this room that understand all of these spreadsheets. You don't have to be one of them. Mm -hmm. It's okay. Like I, and I have to reparent myself. Mm. I have to re-love myself. I have to mm. rewire my brain, if you will, to say, that's yeah. not your kind of smart. Right? Well, you know, and that's what, in my new book, The Story of You, mm -hmm. that's so much of what it's about. It is. Right? This sort of narrative uh, healing process that has to take place for each of the nine types, mm -hmm. right? Um, and of course, I could have written it without the Enneagram, but I think the Enneagram is a useful tool that complements the journey of rewriting narrative, yeah. you know, uh, because it tells us so much about the narratives that we create, right? Absolutely. Because each of those types is a story. It is. That it tells about itself and uh, how it thinks the world works and what it needs to do to be safe, uh, to be approved of, mm -hmm. uh, and to have a sense of control yeah. uh, or mastery. 
And it serves us, right? For a while. For a while until it doesn't serve us anymore. And that's that's the deep spiritual work of surrendering even that story that no longer serves us mm-hmm. and and letting go of what is no longer necessary for us to be a healthy person in the world. Right. And, Completely. Yeah. All right. So fours, fives, and nines. People who are oriented toward the past mm-hmm. doesn't mean that they're not they don't have a sense of the present or the future, but yep. they just tend to spend a little bit more time leaning into the past. What's one practice mm-hmm. they can employ to live yeah. in the present? I would say to pay attention to the moments when blame, shame, grief, bitterness, or guilt are present. Mm-hmm. So let those be signals mm-hmm. to the fours, fives, and nines. Are you blaming somebody? Are you putting some shame on yourself? Is there some grief you haven't processed? Is there some bitterness? Is there a grudge that you're holding that now has a hold on you, right? Or is there some guilt? I think that those are big, big, big signs for fours, fives, and nines um, that they're rehashing the past. And, And a practice, I would say, is to even hold that thing in your hand clench your fists, like clench your fist around maybe some bitterness that you have and, and picture it, hold it, and then allow yourself to breathe. Ask yourself the question, what's here now? Like scan your body, scan your thoughts, scan your feelings, and then open your hands and and just release that in the moment. Mm -hmm. Um, There's something powerful when we we pray with our bodies mm-hmm. um, and we allow ourselves to actually have a physical posture. It's like we, we tell our bodies to do what our hearts want to do, right? And so oftentimes at, at Soul City, we'll encourage people to pray with their hands open, um, you know, holding your hands in a, in a, in a prayer posture that, that was never really anything that was, was like specific that people were supposed to do. This is actually a more prayerful posture, right? To have our hands open. So that would be the practice that I would say for somebody that's kind of stuck in the past. All right, three sevens and eights who tend to live more into the future, what can they do? Mm. I would say pay attention to when you have worry, denial, pretending, obligation, and control. Um, those are the, the five telltale signs that you are not here now. And so that practice, I would say, what is it that you are rehearsing about the future that is keeping you from being in this now moment? And so pay attention to that worry, denial, pretending obligation and control and that same practice, right? Hold it in your hand, clench those fists scan the body, um, what's here, you know, physically, what's here mentally, what's here emotionally, and then release it. And, and I really talk about how to receive the present is the practice of really learning how to notice your thoughts, to name them, 
to not believe every single one of them is true. You know, so many of us, we just think that every thought we think is a true thought. Um, and it's, it's just a thought. Mm-hmm. We have 60 to 80,000 of them a day. And not every thought is worthy of landing on the runway of your mind, right? You don't need to clear every single thought for landing. Uh, you get to be the air traffic controller of your mind and say, I'm not clearing this one for landing. And so it's doing that important mindfulness work. It's really doing that deep and important emotional work of, of understanding emotion. You know, um, I think so many people believe that we need to give our emotions answers. And emotions are not looking for answers. They're just looking for space. It's just looking for space to kind of move through your body. Emotion is just energy in motion, emotion. It's just energy. And we try to give our emotions answers. And they're not looking for answers. They're looking for healthy space. Um, and so many of us, we learned how to deny our emotions. We learned how to stuff our emotions and emotions just, it's like a beach ball, right? If you try to deny or stuff your emotions and you push that beach ball underwater, it's going to pop out and it's usually going to pop out sideways. And so learning how to just name those emotions and not deny those emotions, doing good intelligence around your body. Um, the body never lies. Um, there's so many incredible books on body intelligence that I read when I was researching this book, but so many of us have been unkind to our bodies. We've just kind of believed that they were going to always do what we needed them to do. And we haven't nurtured them or cared Mm -hmm. for them or, or even thanked them. I have a letter in the book, I wrote a thank you note to my body. You know, I grew up and my mom made me write thank you notes for all my gifts. And I realized I had never thanked this vessel for all that it had done for me. Um, all the ways that it is so supportive, um, all the ways that it is trustworthy, right? It, it is this incredible vessel that you know, in, in the Christian faith tradition, we believe the Holy Spirit comes and lives in. And, and yet I'm not writing thank you notes to my body. Yeah. So, um, yeah, having that intelligence. And then I would say the practice of gratitude, uh, is a really significant practice for being in the present moment and the practice of pausing and belonging with one another and really, um, taking in one another's presence and, Mm. and seeing each other, you know, the human heart has basically the desire to be seen and to be heard. That's what everybody wants. Do you see me? Do you hear me? And when we practice belonging with one another, um, my friend Shauna, who wrote the forward to this book, you know, she's been a great teacher to me of this. She especially does this with practices around the table um, and through hospitality and, and the gift of being seen, being heard, being welcomed to somebody's table, right? Mm-hmm. It's such a beautiful experience. So, yeah, those are really the, the practices of presence. Is yeah. Paying attention to our thoughts, our body, our emotions, gratitude, and belonging. You know, it's interesting, as you were speaking, I was thinking about the triads. Mm. And what we tend to do is overprivilege one of our three brains. Hmm. We have three brains, right? We have the head. That's an obvious brain. But our heart has its own intelligence, right? 
So there's another brain, right? Our heart tells us things all the time. And then, you know, the, obviously the, the body, the gut, has its own intelligence. It tells us stuff all the time. We tend to think we have one brain. Mm. We have three brains. Mm. If we want to live as whole people, we have to bring all three into mm-hmm. balance. Mm-hmm. And so part of the journey then for eight, nines, and ones mm-hmm. is to elevate or to yeah. give, you know, a privilege, equal privilege mm-hmm. to the heart. Yeah. Uh, what yeah. did I just say? Eight, nines, and ones? Yeah. To yeah. the heart and to the head, yeah. right? Twos, threes, and fours have to pay more attention to their gut, mm-hmm. right, and their head. Mm-hmm. And five, sixes, and sevens have to pay more attention to their heart and their gut. And you need to bring all three of those intelligences or brains, right, online. Uh, You'll always be, your tendency is always going to privilege one over the other two, depending on what triad you're in. But we want to, so for me, right, as a two, as a four, I have to pay attention more to my body. I have to pay more attention to um, my gut, right, instead of my feelings, Right. So anyway, I think that's one. Yeah, that's one such nice a great way of seeing it, Ian. You know, and as I um, invite people to to do the question, right? What's here with your thoughts? What's here in your heart? What's here in your body? Uh, it really is trying to help people run through all three of those triads. Mm-hmm. And when we are at our healthiest, I had a spiritual director say like, you have aspects of all nine numbers. Like when oh, you yeah. are at wholeness and when you are experiencing true health and freedom, you look like all nine mm-hmm. of the numbers, right? That And that's, yeah. that's the image of God, right? In, inside of us coming forward. And so that's why those three questions to come into the present moment are so critical because it helps us scan, as you so eloquently said, those three brains, right? It helps us scan the body brain, the mind brain, and the heart brain yes. and, and to come into this present moment. And how amazing if we could have people doing this. You think about all of the comment section on the internet, right? If everybody just were to ask themselves the question, what's here now before they go to type in the comment section, I think like three fourths of the world's problems would literally be decimated. Like they would be over and done because we don't pause to actually bring ourselves into this moment, like, mm. why do I want to write this comment? <laughs> like, what is here now? Why do mm-hmm. I want to say this? Why, why am I so triggered? Why am I feeling so much judgment? Mm-hmm. Why is there so much anger here, right? And if only we could help people start to do this spiritual practice. And part of the reason why I wrote it is I needed a spiritual practice. I needed something that was simple because I felt exhausted and drained and as I mentioned, kind of on the doorstep of burnout. And I I was like, I don't want 15 rules that I need. I don't want to, you know, have to do something that causes me to, you know, pull myself out. All all of those things are are good and, and well for seasons. But what's something I can do in a moment, like at any moment, if I'm not here in this now moment. And so I've just been so grateful for the question and how it continues to be a transforming tool to help me be here and to be with people and to be with God. Mm-hmm. Well, before we wrap up, I want yeah. to make sure my ones, twos, and sixes don't feel abandoned. Yes. Because they are more present oriented. 
Right. But what I would argue is, is that when they are not uh, healthy, right, that they live in a um, unhealthy relationship mm-hmm. to the present. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And so part of the journey for them is how do I get the present right? Yeah. You know, like ones will overfocus on what's to do in this moment. Right. Twos will overfocus on it. What do you need right now? Mm-hmm. Right. So it's, you know, sixes have an unproductive, we call it an unproductive relationship and they're thinking about the future, right? Mm-hmm. But from the vantage point of the present. Right. Yeah. So it's like, you know, uh, you can be unhealthy in the present. Yeah. In oh, a strange absolutely. way. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. And I think part of their journey is, is to make the present more spacious, mm. right? Because when you have this over-focusing that's going on in the present moment, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Don't pat yourself on the back. The present moment is, it, is eternally spacious, Right. It's uh, and so to to widen the aperture of your experience Mm. of the presence. Mm -hmm. Right. Instead of, you know, doing the three things that I just mentioned that that each of those types does. Right. So, everybody, I'm I'm talking to my Mm. friend Jeannie Stevens, author of the new book, What's Here Now? How to Stop Rehashing the Past and Rehearsing the Future and Start Receiving the Present. I have two questions I want to end with, and I can't wait to hear this from the perspective of Nate. And Anthony, I just came up with these questions today. I like it. All right. So am I the first person to get these questions? You are the first person to get these two questions. No pressure. Okay, here we go. Briefly tell me about the time you got into the most trouble as a little kid. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Okay. This is a rough one. Come on, bring it. Here we go. So my parents were putting an addition on the house, and there was a big... You got a little shade of red for those that, <laughs> that aren't watching. For those watching on uh, <laughs> uh, YouTube, right? So they were putting this addition, and there was this huge mound of dirt. And my brothers and I were playing on the mound of dirt and you know, playing King of the Hill and all that kind of stuff. And there was a shovel there. And I said to my brother, if you come up here, I'm going to hit you over the head with this shovel. And he's like this isn't your mountain. And I'm like, it's my mountain. And he came up and I hit him over the head. With the <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, the eight has spoken. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And I got in so much trouble. I mean, he had to go to the ER. He got stitches. And so now it's like a hilarious story in our right. family, of course. Right. Jeannie hit her brother over the head with a shovel. Um, but oh man, I got in big trouble for that one. <laughs> so funny. one of the clear yes. ways you can identify an Enneagram. Yeah, eight. if you want to know if you're an eight, go play King of the Hill and grab a shovel, and you will know. <laughs> I love that. I almost want to end on that, but I have another question. Yeah, yeah. I want to know about a uh, naughty secret pleasure you have right now. It could be a Netflix show. It could be whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I don't want you to go too deep on me. Okay. I just wanted to, what's a, what's a dirty little secret pleasure you have right now? Okay. Well, I just watched find, is it finding Anna? Oh, Anna. Oh, yeah. Is that what it it's is? It's called Anna. And, and so then I started, I think like, it's just Anna. Is it Anna? I think it's, I thought I was finding is well, I'm wrong. Look, I'm going to look it up. Okay, you look it up, but I, I binge watched it. And then I like started doing all the Google searches because, you know, she's 
Yeah. Inventing She's, Anna. Inventing Anna. Thank you so much. Uh, so I, I binge watched the show. It, it was fabulous. And then I started like Googling her like real life story and like where she is and how long she was in prison. And, you know, all, all, it is unbelievable. Um, this girl and the way she tricked people. Oh, yeah. Sociopaths are amazing. Uh, she really does kind of have that accent. She does. Yeah. And um, the woman that played her, uh, what's her name? She's, yeah, she's an uh, Ozark. Fantastic actress. Yeah. Um, oh, I'll, of course, remember it after this show. But she did a great job with that accent. So that's, that's one of my guilty pleasures right now. I love yes. to know people's guilty pleasures. Yes. What's yours? Am I allowed to Ooh, ask back? Where do you want to start? <laughs> <laughs> you want to start with the legal ones? <laughs> yeah, I gave the I gave the appropriate ones. <laughs> yeah, I don't. You know, uh, I, I I have an addiction to British television. Mm. Okay, so that's BBC. the first one. BBC, I, BritBox, Acorn Media. I just that's all we basically watch, except for Arrested Development. Oh, I can love Arrested I Development. I can mainline Arrested Development all day long. It just makes me laugh my head so off. Funny. I can actually determine people's enneagram types by how their response to the question, "Do you like Arrested Development?" Because <laughs> <laughs> if they don't, that's yeah. a problem. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know. I can, like they all have different responses, right? I do like Parks and Rec because all nine Enneagram types are represented yeah, are. in the cast. So it's I do love cast. that. It's a great cast. I, I do love that. Uh, what but, do you think Jason Bateman is on Arrested Development? Oh, that's a great question. Have you question. checked him? No, I haven't. I have to think about Arrested Development. I haven't really thought about the, the, that show through the lens of the Enneagram. In part because the characters are so... They're so wild, right? It's so exaggerated. <laughs> you know, on... on Parks and Rec, it's much easier mm-hmm. to, to do it. Um, other guilty pleasures. I have to have two oatmeal cookies every single night. Okay. I every night. Every it's single like, night. I'm not kidding you. For some people, it's cocktails. For me, it's two oatmeal raisin cookies. Now, do you make the yes. oatmeal raisin cookies? Yes. So they're homemade. Yes. Every night. If I don't, I get cranky. Amazing. If there's no dough, cranky. Ian, do you know what you should start doing? What? You should start offering your guests I was cookies. thinking that today. <laughs> it should become your signature right. move on yeah, typology that everybody gets those. an oatmeal raisin cookie. Yeah. Ask him. Ask him about the stare he gets when he comes to my house and says, "Can I have this <laughs> this last oatmeal raisin?" Cookie? I did that the other day, and he was like, "Okay, you can take it." You knew it. <laughs> it had a bad day. You knew it. Yeah, I'd let you go with it. Yeah, yeah I was going to make more that night anyway. So yeah. who cares? Yeah. Right? Well, that, that's not a too bad of a guilty. Yeah. Pleasure. Well, those are. You know, I, I probably could go to a darker place, but I'm, yes. I'm not going to I'm not going to sort of impose that trauma on our <laughs> listeners. <laughs> All right, everybody. Jeannie Stevens. Mm-hmm. Again, what's here now? How to stop rehashing the past and rehearsing the future and start receiving the present. Jeannie, tell everybody where they can learn more. Yeah, they can find me at JeannieStevens.com and you can get the book there at all the other places where books are sold. It comes out May 17th. And I'm so grateful to both of you for having me share about the book and the story. And it just was so delightful to well, be with you today. Well, it was so great. So wonderful. And by the way, everybody, Jeannie is spelled J-E-A-N-N-E, not I-E, just an E. S-T-E-V-E-N-S. I don't want you wandering around uh, trying to plug in uh, the name that is not spelled correctly. Anthony? Yes. Did you have as much fun as I did? I did. I did. I laughed yeah. my head off. In a couple <laughs> yeah. I'm going to remember the shovel story. I might include it. 
I might include it in future Enneagram presentations. Oh, that's gonna oh my get, that's goodness. Gonna be, I have uh, a feeling that story gonna, might uh, outlive me. Oh, no, no, no. We're going to roll that out on social. Oh, no, no, no. I can just tell you right now. I will use it. Yes. I won't mention who. It's okay. You can mention it. I, I have done a lot of good work around it, so it's okay. I will know that if I start receiving a lot of shovels in the mail as yes. gifts, yes. I know that they will have listened to the show. And so. I mean, it was just a few stitches. It just all worked a few. out okay. He, yep, absolutely. It worked out okay. He recovered. Yeah, yeah. whatever. Yeah. yeah. Anthony? Yes. It's time to say goodbye. Typology, friends, may you have love, may you have joy, may you have peace. May you have healing, may you have rest. Until next time.